in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, I will have the Amplified up here on the screen. I want to read this scripture from the Amplified version. And all I'm going to do is just go verse by verse to explain some things. And I have two other texts of scripture that I want to draw from. You could go on for days and days on this particular subject and all the verses we could look at. Therefore, I strongly urge the elders among you, pastors, spiritual leaders of the church, Notice that he said elders, plural. Now, the reason that this church is an elder-led church, I am the senior pastor, but I'm not the only pastor of this church. In the most technical definition and, and, and terminology of what a pastor is, elder, pastor, overseer, bishop, those are all synonymous in the New Testament. And there is always a plurality of leadership in the local church. It's not one man reigns supreme. Now understand some churches, depending where they're at, they may not have the, the, the plurality of leaders needed because they don't have the personnel. But the precedent that is set in the New Testament is a plurality of leaders. You always see it in the plural. So he says elders, plural. I strongly urge the elders among you, that is pastors, spiritual leaders of the church, as a fellow elder and as an eyewitness called to testify of the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd and guide and protect the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not motivated for shameful gain, but with wholehearted enthusiasm, not lording it over those assigned to your care. Do not be arrogant or overbearing, but be examples of Christian living to the flock. Set a pattern of integrity for your congregation. And when the chief shepherd, that is Christ, appears, you will receive the conqueror's unfading crown of glory. Now, we did read the scripture last week in conjunction with John chapter 21. And if you recall, John chapter 21 is where Jesus uh, reconfirms or reinstates um, uh, Peter on the beach. That after uh, Peter had denied Jesus three times on the night of his crucifixion, he, he's tormented by this, he's depressed by this. And he needs to be um, reaffirmed by the Lord. And on this morning, Jesus is sitting on the beach and he has breakfast waiting for the disciples. And he has this one-on-one -on -one dialogue with Peter. With Peter. And he asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter, basically he has to appeal to the Lord's sovereignty. He's, he's humiliated by, by his failure he was very presumptuous to think that I would never be offended because of you. I would never fall. I would never, ever deny you, Lord. And he did it three times. And so three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? And in response to do you love me, and he says, Lord, you know, you know I love you. He says, feed my lambs. Tend to my flock. Feed my lambs or feed my sheep. And then he says, when you were younger, Peter, you went about and girded yourself and did whatever you did. But then, now, you, someone else will take you and do with you as they please. And you won't be able to, to, to uh, control your own destiny, if you will. And what he is saying to Peter, Peter, if you love me, 
If you love me, only if you love me will you serve me. And only if you love me can you then tend to my lambs, feed my flock. And then if you have that love for me, you have that love for the people of God, then you will even lay your life down for me and lay your life down for the church of Jesus Christ. And of course, tradition tells us that Peter was crucified just as his Lord And he asked to be crucified upside down because he felt he was not worthy to be crucified, to to take the form of death as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Peter, at the end of his life, this is at the end of his earthly ministry, Peter got it. Peter understood John chapter 21. He understood, love the Lord, follow me, tend to my sheep. Love my people. Be a shepherd. Be a pastor to them. Exemplify the same nature and spirit that you saw me minister to the flock of Israel. You do the same, Peter, to the people of God. And this is what he encourages fellow elders to do in the church of Jesus Christ. He he appeals to them saying, I am a fellow elder. I'm just like one of you. He doesn't come from this high and lofty place and talk down to the fellow elders. He's saying, I am a fellow elder just like you. Just in the the way that he forms that sentence, in the way he approaches those people, there is a position of humility. There is a position of pastoral mindset and a shepherd's heart. Just in the way he approaches his exhortation to fellow pastors. Fellow pastors. And he says, as an eyewitness called to testify the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory that is to be revealed. Now, he is telling them we are to share in the sufferings. We saw the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We all know that we may suffer and be persecuted for the sake of the Lord. But he's also putting out, out to them the finish line, the crown, what you're working towards. That is as well as one who shares in the glory that is to be revealed, that I and all of us fellow elders were going to share in the future glory. That what you're going to have to endure for the people of God, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. So, here is the absolute directive, the the direct statement and and exhortation. The King James Version in verse 2 says, Feed the flock. But that word there has a broader context. And the Amplified brings it out. It means to shepherd and guide and protect the flock of God among you. I mentioned last week that four general areas in which the shepherd is called to over the people of God is to feed, to lead, to protect, and care for the people. That's what you should expect from me, from Hunter, from Clint, from any other person in leadership who has been given oversight of the people of God. You should expect nothing less than that. That is the job description of a spiritual shepherd, to feed, to lead, to protect, to care. And so he says here, shepherd and guide and protect the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. So there is this understanding of oversight, this understanding of leading the people, okay? That there is this understanding of authority and submission to leadership, 
But it, it, is, it is a mutual love and trust one for another. And it is not subjugation, it is willful submission. That as the leadership willfully submits and humbles themselves to the chief shepherd, so the people of God submit themselves one to another, to their leaders, and we're all following after Jesus Christ. That's the position that all of us have. And the Lord has placed the leader there to administrate, to oversee, to be a bishop over the things of the church of Jesus Christ. And so he is saying, exercising oversight, okay? That is your oversight, administering all the necessary things that are happening in the church. But here's how you do it. Here is the nature, here's the spirit you have to have. Because listen, this, this pulpit right here is oftentimes used by preachers not as, as a place to serve the body of Christ with the food of the word of God. It's a place more so like a throne. And it's the pastor who, in arrogance and a domineering, arrogant spirit, subjugates the people to his rule and reign. Okay? And I mentioned just last Sunday about how the life of a Christian is laying down and picking up. And we put down our swords and we pick up a towel and we lay down our lives and we pick up the cross. And we lay down the scepters. Or that is, we lay down our sword and we pick up the sword of the Spirit. But then we lay down our scepters and we pick up a towel. Okay? And I would say this further, specifically to the shepherd. The shepherd does not walk around with the scepter. The shepherd of Jesus Christ, he walks around with a staff. He walks around with a staff. And the scepter is a sign of lordship or sovereignty, of, of lording itself over. And Jesus said, as the Gentiles, they lord their authority. It should not be so with you. But whoever is going to be greatest is going to be the one who serves, who is a slave. That's the greatest. You must become as a child. And so that is the position you must take. And so the, the man of God, the, the elder, he leads. He does lead. He does have oversight. He, he, he is over the people of God, but it's not with the scepter. It's not with the strong arm. It's not with a heavy hand. It is with the loving care of a shepherd's staff, with the intention to protect, to lead, to care for, to feed, to lead them to different pastures, and even to correct with that staff if necessary. And so he says, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Let it be your life's service. Do you know there are many pastors in the ministry because it's just another career? It's just something to do. And, and year after week after week, year after year, it's just something you do by rote. It's just a career. It's just a paycheck. The people are just nothing more than subjects. They're just numbers. They're just people, warm seats in a pew. And Jesus said that he knows his sheep and he knows them by name. And he's intimately acquainted with the people. And the life of a physical shepherd, his very life is for the sheep. And it's, you don't go and just haphazardly shepherd real sheep. You have to keep a steady eye on them. You have to care for them. You have to watch out for those who, who, will, who, will, who will isolate themselves and wander away or be lost. You, you have to actively be a part of shepherding those people. And you don't shepherd successfully by accident. And he's saying, don't get bored. Don't become lazy. Don't do it by compulsion just because you have to. Do it as your life's service. Because you love Jesus, you're going to lay your life down for the sheep. The good shepherd who is the chief shepherd for me, 
He lays his life down for the sheep. And he literally did it upon the cross. But that's the same spirit and nature in which the man of God should go forward. That his life's service is to those people. He would lay his life down for those people. He would do everything he could, everything he could to care and tend to and heal those people. Because it's not just a job. It's not just a paycheck. It is God's people. God's people. It's not just any other kind of people. It is God's people. God's blood-bought people who he died and purchased with his own blood, who he cares for. So shepherd and guide and protect the flock, um, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Again, you can look on the screen what I'm reading. According to the will of God, not motivated for shameful gain, but with wholehearted enthusiasm. I will tell you this, the place of pulpit ministry, of platform ministry, that is a, a place where you're seen by a lot of people, whether it be teaching, preaching, uh, worship on, in the worship team, singing, whatever it may be, there is always, there is always an intrinsic temptation to use that platform to put yourself in the spotlight and to use it for your own gain. As I alluded to with abusing the gifts, you can do that. And, and there is, with this place of, granted there is an authority given to the man of God, he can abuse that, he can abuse that, and he can use the church financially, the resources there, he can use um, the power he gets by, by instilling fear in the people, and he can do all kinds of things and manipulate the people for his own shameful gain. He can use the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see it in the first century. You see it today. They can use the gospel of Jesus Christ for their own personal gain. And that is called a wolf in sheep's clothing. That is one who is, who is a hireling, who doesn't care about the sheep. He's there to fleece the sheep to fleece the flock, to take them for all they've got. He's a charlatan. He's a con man. He's there for his own purposes. He's there to get everything he, get, he can and squeeze out of those people and do nothing to help them. He's saying not for shameful gain, but with wholehearted enthusiasm. And lastly, not lording it over those assigned to your care. And I've already alluded to that last week and just now. That is not lording your authority, not using this pulpit as a throne, but using it as a place to heal, to, to, to feed, to protect, to lead the people, to use this place God has given me, not, not to make myself feel big and awesome, and you better submit to me as the man of God. That's the attitude you see for some people, okay? That comes from a, a wrong perspective. Not lording it over those assigned to your care. That is, do not be arrogant or overbearing. But how do you lead otherwise? But be examples of Christian living. That is, don't just say as I say, or do as I say, but don't follow my actions. You can do everything I tell you to do, but don't do what the pastor tells you to do. Or don't, don't do as he does. That is, uh, Jesus told the, told the people, he said, do what the Pharisees tell you to do, but don't act like they do. What they say, what they say to do, yes, do it. But don't follow their example.
Because they are of their devil. They are of their father, the devil. They're a brood of vipers. Do as they say, but not in accordance with their actions. And he is saying that pastor must lead by example. He must lead from the front. He's never from the sidelines pointing and doing and saying this and not applying it to his own life. Okay? Again, listen. All this is for you to hold me accountable. You realize that? That's what I'm doing here. And for Clint and for Hunter, this is what we should be armed with in regards to the Word of God. But be examples of Christian living to the flock. Set a pattern of integrity for your congregation. And when the chief shepherd Christ appears, you will receive the conqueror's unfading crown of glory. Go to Ezekiel 34. Two, one portion of Scripture from Ezekiel, then we're going to go to Mark 6. Make some further points on this subject. Ezekiel 34. It's after Isaiah, after Jeremiah. So this is, is the Lord by Ezekiel speaking to pre-exilic people, leaders of the people of Israel, to priests and to kings, those who would lead the people. Okay, Pre-exilic, I mean by before Babylon overthrew Israel and took them and exiled them to Babylon. This is before this happens. And he is giving a warning to Israel's shepherds, that is, its priests and its kings. And God is, is expressing his displeasure with its shepherds over God's people. Okay? So we're going to apply this in the New Testament context and bring it full circle in Mark chapter 6. Verse 1 of chapter 34, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. My primary task as a minister of the new covenant is to be with the Lord and present to you the word of God that you may be fed on the word of God. The word of God is life. And we shall live by the word of God and the word of God alone. You're not living off of Stephen's words. You're not living off of some book we may read. You're living off the word of God. And the primary source, the only source of nutrition, of strength, of spiritual transformation for your life is you being fed the word of God. And if I'm not feeding you the word of God but giving you some, th some formulation from the wisdom of men, I am you will end up in a malnourished state. You will, you will end up in, in a malnourished state that you will not have the nutrients, the minerals, the calories that you need, and you will eventually shrivel up and blow away. The Word of God is our primary source of nutrition and it is the man of God's first priority to feed the flock the Word of God. But he says, you have fed yourselves. Woe to the shepherds who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed 
the flock. This is, this is the example of those who use the flock of God for shameful gain. They fleece the flock. The weak you have not strengthened. You're called, I'm called to heal, to seek out that which is lost, to know people by name, to understand what they're going through, to be a part of them in their, the trenches of life, to have, to have a, a, a capacity for compassion and empathy and sympathy with them and, and to care for what they're going through in their weaknesses. He says, but the weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick. A shepherd out in the field, if he sees a sheep that has a, a, a harmed foot or has some, there's a particular disease that sheep can get with some bugs that will burrow itself into sheep. And, and a sheep will oftentimes anoint the, the sheep's face with oil that keeps these particular flies out of, out of their, their fur. And so he has to continually attend to their wounds, make sure that there is healing and there is protection from, from the things around them. He says, nor have you bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. Do you see the correlation here to 1 Peter 5? You have, you have a heavy hand over them. You're ruling them with the scepter. And though, king, you may be on a literal throne, you're supposed to have a shepherd's heart just as David had. Just as David had. He had. He learned from real-life experience of a shepherd, and he shepherded God's people. He was a man after God's own heart. And because he was a man after God's heart, which his heart is for the people, he was a man who shepherded the people. But all these other kings, most of them were evil. David was, is the, the standard of, of, of king, kings and, and, and the, the people of Israel. Most of them were evil and did wrong, and they used their place of authority as a means to step upon them and lift their own selves up. Verse 5, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. Now, there was a king and a priest in that place, but they were not walking in the capacity of shepherd. There may be a pastor behind this pulpit, but the people will scatter if these things are not taken care of. You may, you may in theory, have a shepherd in the natural, standing before you. But if he's not walking in the capacity and the calling of shepherd, the people will scatter because really you don't have a shepherd. You just have a warm body behind the pulpit. That's all you have, whose heart is not for the people. So, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. So after they scattered, then they were devoured by the enemy. They were devoured by the enemy. My sheep wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is where God steps in. He says, 
Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherd, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may no longer be food for them. That makes me tremble and fear as a pastor. Because there is judgment upon the false teacher. There is judgment upon the false prophet who leads people astray. That is a great and fearful judgment that they face. And you see in 2 Peter where Peter addresses false teachers and false prophets. You can see what Peter said about their end and their judgment. And this is God ruling judgment over these false shepherds. And he's requiring their life because of their actions at the expense of his people. So verse 11, here's the encouraging part. Here, here is the redeeming aspect. And here is the heart of God. Okay, Here is the shepherd's heart. This is the Lord who made the universe, who created all things, who has authority and power and might and sovereignty. And everything shall bow before him. This is his heart towards you and me, his people. Little old Stephen. Little old Lane, we feel like nobodies, but God cares about every single one. He knows every sheep by name, and he lays his life down for those people because this is God's heart right here. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, indeed I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he's among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were, scattered on a cloudy and dark day. If they will not do it, I will do it, he's saying. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and the valleys and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountain of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Does that sound familiar to a particular psalm you've read before? Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me to places of abundance. He leads me to places of fruitfulness. He leads me to places that I can be nourished and progress in. I will feed them in good pasture. Verse 15, I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord. Last two verses here. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. The Bible says, he who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who, exalts, who humbles himself will, in good time, the Lord will exalt. If you will willfully humble yourself, the Lord will always exalt you. But if you will exalt yourself, oftentimes at the expense of people, the Lord will bring you down and humiliate you. And he is saying, I will destroy the fat, the strong, and feed them in Judgment. They shall reap what they have sown. But you look here at verse 16. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Does that sound a little familiar? Something like Luke chapter 15. The, the, the three stories about the woman who lost the coin and she sweeps the whole house 
and she looks everywhere. She turns the whole house upside down and she finds her coins and then she gets with her neighbors and they all rejoice that they have, they have found her lost money. And, and, and then it's, it's, um, it is the lost son, the prodigal son who went off and, and wasted everything the, the, the father had given him and he came to himself and he repented and he came back to the father and the father seeing him afar off ran to him and brought him back and clothed him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and killed the fatted calf and, and threw a party for him and accepted him back into the family as a son, not as a servant. Because of a humble, contrite spirit, the Lord cannot push away. He will not deny. He will not resist a humble and contrite spirit. He can't resist it. And so the father receives his son as a son of the house. And then there's another parable in there about the shepherd leaving the 99 for the one. That every single one is important to the shepherd. Every single one. Imagine if I, I have three kids. I know them by name, obviously. They're all very dear to me as much as the other one. I love them all the same. Imagine I had five kids, six kids. Imagine, Lord have mercy, I had ten kids. And if it was up to Kimberly, she'd probably be okay with that. But imagine, 10. Let's say we're the Duggars. We have 20. It doesn't matter how many you kids you have. You know every one of them by name. You know their date of birth. You care about them. You love them all the same. It doesn't matter if you still have 99 in the, in the fold. It doesn't matter because you, you love that one as much as you love the 99. And you're going to traverse all of the dark hills. You're going to seek and to save that which is lost. And then when you find that little lamb or that, 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 that uh, sheep that is so paralyzed by fear that when sheep are so fearful, they cannot move. They will just lay down and sit there and stay. And so the shepherd, especially if they're hurt, but also because of fear, he will take that sheep and put it upon his shoulders and carry the sheep himself. He will put it upon his very own shoulders and go back to the 99, go over all the hills, traverse the, 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 the dangerous terrain, and make his way back to the flock, and he will rejoice over the one. Rejoice over the one. And that is exactly what he says here in verse 16. And that is exactly what he said in Luke chapter 15. And all of heaven rejoices when one is saved. When one which was lost is found, when one which was weak and broken and harmed, when they become whole and healed and loved by the Lord. The Lord rejoices when that occurs, and that can only occur by faithful shepherds in the body of Christ, and furthermore, by people in the body of Christ mutually caring one for another. That can only happen in that way. So now, here's the absolute consummation the absolute epitome of God reaching his people and doing Ezekiel chapter 34. Go to Mark 6. I'm going to end right here. Give me 10 more minutes. Mark chapter 6. Here, here is here's the manifestation in fleshly form of Ezekiel 34. In Mark chapter 6. The beginning of the chapter begins with 
Jesus and giving authority to the 12 disciples. Actually, at the beginning of the chapter, he's rejected at his own home place of Nazareth. And then in verse 7, he sends out the 12. He gives them authority to cast out demons, to preach the gospel, to do many mighty supernatural signs and wonders. And they go out and they minister in the power of God that, that, the Lord, that Jesus has given them. And they, they cast out demons and they anoint the sick and they are healed. And, and, and then there's a little, little delay in the remainder of the chapter about John the Baptist. And then we pick up in verse 30. After the disciples, the 12 have been out, they've been ministering. They are now exhausted from ministry. They're exhausted from working and doing and praying and casting out demons. And in verse 30, then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. The apostles, the 12 disciples, they were ministering so much by the power that was given to them by Jesus, they hadn't even had time to eat. And, and they were doing all these marvelous things. They reported this back to Jesus. And Jesus, listen, he cares both for your eternal state and your temporal state. In the same way that Jesus had to go to deserted places and refresh himself in communion with the Father, he's encouraging the disciples because he cares for their temporal state. He cares that their tummies are grumbling. He cares that we are uh, mortal men constrained to, to, to uh, us becoming weak and tired and needing food and needing sleep. He says, come away to this deserted place and let's rest a little while. He cares for them. Now, how, here's how I apply this. That means you people got to give me a vacation every once in a while. <laughs> it's called a sabbatical. And pastors need it too. And every day I should go into the quiet place and be refreshed by the Lord. But there's all those, also those special times where you just need a special refreshing and just to be poured into. And you need those times, and Jesus himself had to do that. And so I'm, I've never been against any pastor taking time off. He needs it. So you can expect that from me. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. And so he says in 31, he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities, they arrived before them and came together to him. There's throngs of people wanting to be ministered to by Jesus. And Jesus, verse 34, here's the heart of the Lord. When he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Why was he moved by compassion for them? Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Wow. That is Ezekiel 34. That is God. God in target, in, incarnate, taking on flesh, living amongst us. In the heart of God, he sees wearied people, scattered, unhealed, afraid, and needing their souls attended to, and he can't help but have compassion upon them. And so what does he do? He sits down and he teaches them. 
He feeds them the word of God. And in a couple more verses, then he feeds the 5,000 loaves and fishes. So you see, he cares first for their eternal soul, and then he cares that there's food in their stomach. The Lord cares for every aspect of your life because he is a good shepherd. And this is the precedent set for me. For the elders of this church, this is what you should expect from leadership. This is normal. This is normal. And this is what the standard that you should hold me to. Jesus had compassion because they were a sheep who were scattered without a shepherd. And so he, he, being the good shepherd, being the chief shepherd, being the great shepherd, he sat down and he taught the people and he gave them the word of life, which was himself. He was the fulfillment of all the law, of all the prophets, of everything Moses said. He, God incarnate, the word became flesh and he served himself to those people because he loved them, because he hated sin. He wanted to see them restored to relationship with the Father. Would you stand with me? Seth, come help me. Let's sing Good, Good Father. Abby, Mia, Dina, I want us to sing this, but I want us to pray here tonight. I, I want us, I want you, please, I covet your prayers for the leadership of this church. Pray for me, and then pray that you would see the Lord as the good shepherd, as a good father, that you would see the heart of God in these scriptures, that you would see that he is for you, that he's not against you, and that he has everything in his hand that he wants to grant to you. Just by a word, he can give us whatever we need. So believe that God is who he says he is of this word and trust that man, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. That is the one you serve. That's the one we entrust ourselves to. That's the one who cares for you. Make that the desire of your heart. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you.